2: post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today fiction science fiction horror fantasy crime LGBT thriller
1: you
3: have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts Eric Shapiro David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard
0: on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside,
3: and
2: 1050
3: AM Palm Springs.
0: So we've got Joseph Scott Morgan. Thank you for being on the show, Joseph.
4: Hey guys, thanks for having me. Good to be with you.
5: Uh, Welcome uh, aboard.
4: Yeah. You bet. N- now Um I think that uh back going back to Jim Baker, you know, if they had uh pre-ordered some of those uh anointed prayer cloths and had those mailed to them, uh, and he could have, he could have self anointed. He might, he may have felt better. So you never know. You got to prepare. You know, you talk about preparation. You know, you really got to prep. So you never know what's around each corner.
0: Well, this is true. And he's selling condominiums too now in the Ozarks.
4: Well, hey, you know, you got to do what a man's got to do. What a man's got to do to get by,
5: right? <laughs> well, oh, well, well, jo- Joseph, you brought this up, so. <laughs> And I'm going to walk through this door. One of my favorite ever, ever, was this pastor. It's been some years ago. But if you wanted the anointing, he placed his handprint on shower caps and we're selling these shower caps. You put it on and it was like him laying hands on you. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Huh. That's a good that, idea. That's that, 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 that that, my favorite. Yeah, that is.
4: That that is quite. Uh, maybe they could kick it up another level, and you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe look into condom blessing. So you never know. <laughs> it,
5: it it could be a trend. Could be a trend.
0: <clears throat> Just it, well, there you go, Kevin. Kevin does that now. So, <laughs> but that's that's a different story, and we have to be on yeah. later at night to talk about that. <laughs> but, oh, all okay. right. Yeah, well, that brings up, you know. So this guy that's putting in, uh, putting his hands in these, um, in these shower caps and sending it to you, he's really putting his DNA in that, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, sure. Touch DNA, man. That's all the rage now.
4: Uh, now we think that it's going to,
0: yeah. Well, I was just gonna say because we've had some guests on now that have said that uh, the touch DNA is actually. Not a good thing. It's a bad thing because we can't really determine um, who, where the DNA, how it got there. And he was referring to um, Joan Baez Ramsey and about how, on her panties, they um, uh-huh. found touch DNA, and that was traced back to the manufacturing plant. So how could we guarantee all the DNA on the clothing and the bodies are really associated with criminals?
2: Yeah.
4: yeah, it's 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 a slippery slope, I think. And plus, you're only getting you're only getting uh, you know uh, a fragment of DNA with this as well. So that's another complication, uh, you know, that kind of springs forward from all of this. Look, I um, I teach it. I'm the distinguished scholar of applied forensics at Jacksonville State University uh, in Alabama. And one of the things that I teach in my forensic investigations classes is to because it's like you know, years and years ago, where you can <clears throat> pardon me, where you can just kind of go in and uh, have a half-hearted plan about how you're going to process a death scene. Now we enter into uh, these environments as if we're you have to approach them like you're almost entering into a surgical environment. Um, because with the recognition of the fact that we have these uh, these trace amounts of DNA. What I tell students to do, and uh, of course your listeners can do this too, and it's just kind of a point of reference, take a little talcum powder, okay, put it in the palm of your hand and just kind of gently blow. Now, you know, if you, you get the idea of how, uh, how delicate that is, uh, you can, you can go by a factor of about 10, uh, to give you an idea of how delicate touch DNA is. It's so, so easy to destroy it's so easy to cross contaminate it's so easy uh, to lose on uh, from the perspective of processing uh, movement of bodies all these sorts of things and with Jean Benet uh, I was involved in you know one of those series of things that they did last year in the wake of of the, uh, the special the long running special that was on te- television with Jim uh, Clemente uh, I did something with CNN for that and, you know, that, that came up, you know, relative to the, you know, relative to uh, discovery of DNA that, you know, these, these paintings that were manufactured somewhere, I don't know, Malaysia or one of these places, you know, um, very well could have been contaminated on the line there. And God only knows, <clears throat> God only knows how, uh, um, how well, um this evidence was preserved, you know, long term. That's one of the reasons that, uh, you mentioned that, um that, uh, with Stephen and I met at CrimeCon, um, you know, uh, I was on the panel with the survivors from the Golden State killer and, uh, a remarkable case, by the way. And uh, going back all that time, um, we have the, you know, this remnant of, dna that's left behind that they were able to to match up and i think that that's been more than just simply uh you know touch dna but still that gives you an idea that, you know the fact that they were able to do that now from you know a civil libertarian standpoint uh um it, it causes a shiver run up my spine of you know with these databases but uh, um, you know it's we're it, it's it's a brave new world, guys. You know, that's just that's the nature of it. I, I don't even, you know, I, I for my part, I, I have these discussions with people many times, uh, you know, about uh, the idea of fingerprinting. Um, you know, what we've been taught all these years and these things that we do, looking for partial prints and the databases that we use, and you know, just in intake uh, uh, when people are brought into jail. I, I submit to you, I don't, I don't even think that we'll do. Even a digital fingerprint on people within the next decade. I think that everybody will will probably undergo buccal mucosal swabbing, and that'll just go into a general database, a local database, and um, and you know we'll we'll have a whole new set of things of problems that we that we have to concern ourselves with, good and bad. So it's it is a breaking world.
5: Well, Joseph, what we're doing that right now. I I work at Madison County Jail right here in, in Huntsville, and mm-hmm. everybody that comes through the door now, we're actually taking DNA swabs from.
4: Right, yeah, and I think that it's, 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 part of me is scary. I don't know if you, it's scary for me. I mean, even, you know, even years ago when I don't, uh, I remember I was still over in Georgia and the first time that they told me at a driver's license office I was going to have to give them a fingerprint for my driver's license. It was one thing. I was in the military. I was in public safety and all that, and I was going into this thing to do work. And the rationale for it was, well, we can – I remember at the time I was, I was I was working for the M.E. in Atlanta. I remember at the time uh, this civil servant was behind the counter. I was like, I don't want to give you my fingerprint. And she looked at me and she said, you don't understand. We, we're doing this because it's going to make bodies easier to identify. Like she was going to shock me with that, and I'm thinking, you know, Jesus, man, <laughs> what are you to now for. So, you know, it's 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 been coming. It's 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 you know, um, and you can't really step off the track. You're staring at that single light coming down the tracks at you, and it's, it's going to hit us full force.
5: Well, well, let me ask you this, and and Al, yeah. you know, mentioned this early on in, in the interview, in in Jess, but uh, I really feel this way. Do you feel that? these sites, you know, kind of like Ancestry.com and 23andMe that, that that is a polite way of getting your DNA when you won't give it willingly during, you know, like you said you know, your driver's license or, you know, we want your DNA here. Well, I don't have to, you know, that's Fourth Amendment issue. So, we have these polite sites over here that are getting your DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: And uh, if you want to kick it up to another conspiracy level, I think that one of these sites is uh, controlled by an unnamed religious body, and so uh, that in and of itself has has another scary ring to it. Um, I don't know where this information is going. Um, and yeah, yeah, if I uh, can interrupt, that's, I, that's that's Ancestry dot
0: com, yeah. and what they are is they've run run and owned by the Mormons and what they're doing mm-hmm. is gathering information from you as well as giving you information. But they take that information and they have a, a, a baptism for the dead. So what they're doing yeah. is they're baptizing the dead after they get information from you. And that's sort of kind of, we've kind of covered that on the show uh, once, so uh, I'm not scared. Yeah, and me. I think, <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, it's, it's
4: just, it's got, a, it's got a whole nother level of creepy to it. Um, uh, first off you know um, well, yeah. uh, well
0: it
4: does yeah. uh, it, i think that i think that one of the things here is this i had a conversation with two attorneys off the air the other day about this uh actually i apologize it wasn't off the air well it was off the air we were at Con, and we were sitting around talking and uh and i was asking them because i'm not a lawyer you know i'm just I'm just an old death investigator and, uh, you know, now saying, you know, how's this gonna, how's this gonna hold up? You know, if you, if you put it, if you take this and apply constitutional tests to it and, um, their simple answer to me was the courts now from what they're hearing from a lot of these jurists is that, um, it's the equivalent of, uh, uh, throwing away a piece of garbage, uh, in a trash can just off your property. Does the police have the ability to go in there and, and extricate that? And it, that seems that, that argument does not seem, um, seem valid to me because I think that when you enter into this kind of contractual agreement with one of these sites, you don't go into this with the expectation that, I think that there is an expectation of privacy here. And I think that the courts are kind of leaning toward this idea that you have no expectation of privacy. Now, from a forensic standpoint, hey, dude, um, man, it's it's fascinating. It's fantastic, but you know, there's more to life than forensics, right? I mean, there's there's more to it um, because if you don't have your freedom, what good is forensics? And uh, and so I, I take a, you know, I kind of. Uh, it makes me raise my, my eyebrow. And, uh, you know, I've had people come at me with an argument, oh, no, you don't understand the pain that these families have gone through and now this thing's been solved. Yeah, I kind of do understand the pain. I've got homicide victims in my family. Uh, I've, you know, and I've, I've borne witness to more deaths than most in two major cities in New Orleans and Atlanta. So yeah, I can get down in the dirt with you. Uh, does that, does, an individual's pain supersede our individual rights and our collective rights, and that's a that's a big question. It'll be a question that people far brighter than me will, will have to answer. Um, you know, or better better making an argument than I, than I. But it's just it's it has a, a level of scariness to it for me. I think. Jo- Joseph, what was?
3: And this may sound um, a mad question, and you probably get asked it all the time, so apologies if that's the case. What is the What situation have you been in where you found it, I suppose, the most challenging as, as a forensic investigator? So you know, what sort of situation would give you the, the most challenges?
4: Well, um, understand that uh, for me I'm kind of a different animal because I'm not – like a typical crime scene guy um for me my background i was the eyes and the ears of the forensic pathologist in the field so when i would go out either with the jefferson parish coroner's office in new orleans when i was just starting out and at the time i was named uh, or i was identified as the youngest medical legal death investigator in america um by a guy named william eckert who you can check him out he's oh
5: yeah he's
4: kind of a He's kind of a seminal force in uh in forensic pathology. Uh I worked with him for a little bit. I had no business doing what I was doing for a living at that age, but I that's all I've ever done. Um, and then working with the ME in Atlanta where I was a senior investigator, my my world is different than a, a standard forensics guy. Uh because I'm going out seeking to determine manner, cause of death, and identification, and bringing that data back in from the field for the forensic pathologist. And yeah. so uh, contrary to what you see in television, forensic pathologists do not, and I mean do not, go out into the field. It's it's people like me. And so as far as challenges go, within my particular field, um, uh, the biggest challenge that I face. Uh, and I write about this in my memoir is uh and what really took a toll on me was uh next of kin notifications. Uh, I, I did over two thousand in person uh over the course of my career and it it wears on you. Um, the science is the easy part guys. It's 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 the very it's what keeps you going. But in my field, uh, and I think not just in my field, but I think uh, from a a mental health standpoint, why will only get you so far uh, over a period of time. Uh, you can only um, ask the question why so many times. Science wears thin after a while. Um, but I, I found my love and joy for it again now teaching at university. So I'm sorry to go a long way around the barn answering that question, but I kind of have to set the scene for you as to who i am and you know uh what what i what i, I did for a living for so many years and now what i teach now.
3: in terms of when we deliver those very very difficult messages to people joseph um i i it's not the same thing um entirely i was a child protection social worker in the uk for many years and so <laughs> had to very difficult messages to people about potentially going to court to look at where their child should live permanently, or to deliver a Mm -hmm. message that their child shouldn't live with them. So those kind of scenarios are so emotive. Did you find yourself, during the course of your career, rewording things, learning how to reframe things so that messages were easier understood and and, um, captured by people? Or did you take a, a different approach?
4: Uh, it it was uh, um, it evolved over a period of time because you know you can go to classes and learn how to interact with families but the problem is, is a lot of the classes that you go to the people are not actually doing it and that's a huge problem it's it's that way look i, was, I mean it's that way even if you're talking about radio or broadcasting uh, you can go to a university and have people sit there and tell you well this is the way it's done but they don't know how it's really done or maybe they haven't done it in years. Uh, for me, it became, uh, more of a game of survival and how I was going to do it. Um, um, and, um, in the beginning, I would, I'd find myself, uh, really, uh, circumventing the, the final step, you know, where you tell them that they're dead. Yeah. And in actuality, when you look back, that's one of the, The cruelest things that you can do—they, you badge them when you show up at the door. They know that something bad has happened. I found for me, and I I teach my kids to this day that you don't do it callously, but you have to look at the person and say, you know, are you Tommy Smith's mother? Yes, I am, Ms. Smith. I'm sad to inform you that your son is dead. You're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get past. You're not gonna get as my granny would say. You're not gonna get past the squalor. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. People are gonna beat their chest and rent their clothing into and all the, you know, everything you can think of. There's no way to soft pedal this. Now, talking about delivering information, one thing I am, I can prove, uh, that I've seen borne out in my practice was that, and I've heard people say this, um, uh, you know, they say that when you make a death, a death notification that the people that you're providing this information to, they literally hear probably less than 10% of everything you vocalize to them. So I would, I would say these things to these family members and you rarely get past the idea of your loved one is dead. Okay. And then mm-hmm. anything else you say after that is falling on deaf ears. So yeah. I would get phone calls like three, four, five times. After the initial contact where they're asking me the same questions that I'd previously answered. And it's not because these people are fools or they're stupid or anything like It's that they're shocked that you've just, uh, you've essentially pulled a pin on a grenade and thrown it into a room and closed the door behind you. And that's, that's what you've done. And they're in a, they're in a concussed state, uh, kind of in a psychic sense. And so you, you know, Give them this information, and you have to. You, you have to first off, you have to leave. <laughs> you have to provide. That's. I don't know of any any uh, any application where business cards are 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 a better tool to have at your disposal with all of the information contained on it, so that they can get back in contact with you. And I would leave two, three, four sometimes in case they misplace them, because they're going to have to call you back because you know you're going to know that they're they're not going to. Uh, believe that, that it's happened. They're in denial. And, uh, and the next step is the tactile nature of death. It's like watching a, a, a mama dog with her, with her pups and one of the pups passes away. Uh, the mama nuzzles the dog, does everything to the pup. Uh, we're, we're tactile creatures. Families want to touch bodies. And of course that brings us back to forensics. And that's a hard that's 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 got some hard bark on it, guys. When you you tell them, uh, look, man, uh, I can't let you touch your child because at that point in time, the child is no longer a child, particularly if it's a homicide. It's,
5: yeah, it's, the it's evidence. The
4: biggest piece of evidence. Yeah, it's a biggest piece of evidence, and that's that's another that's another layer to all of this, you know. Um, but I mean, but, so but that's it's,
5: perfectly it's, understandable, though.
4: I mean, it, it is will, for us. It is, yeah, it, yeah. Well,
5: even yeah. even for them. I mean, they they know what has happened. You know, they're they're looking at their dead child, and as an investigator, you know, and this is going to sound a little bit cruel. We're expecting him to go through the five stages of death in just a few minutes, and, and that's yeah, really yeah. unfair. You know, like you said, you know, they're going to go through the denial. So we will have to discuss that later. But for right now, your child is evidence. I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I guess I'm trying to amend it and and put a, a nice face on it. But we're asking the family to go through a hell of a lot in, in just such a short amount of time.
3: I tell totally you, yeah,
5: yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Julie.
3: No, it's okay. I remember when I used to go out on um, child protection investigations where there've been uh, there been a um, an allegation made against, let's just say, for example, an allegation's made against Dad. So we go out and we investigate it, and we say to Dad, "Listen, it's going to take a few, a, a few um, days for us to really get to the bottom of this. So we can ask you to leave the family home while we do that. And if you don't leave the family home, the children need to. So, and you're expecting people to kind of go through all of these phases." Um, and understand exactly what it is you're saying, and how you're trying to kind of support, but also investigate, and those kind of um, different, very different complexities of the work that we, that we do in a matter of minutes. And it just doesn't happen that way, does it? It doesn't happen.
4: No, no, it doesn't. Uh, and and that's that's one of the big, that's one of the big problems. Uh, I, I write. Uh, I wrote a piece uh, some time back, and. Um, uh about death in our culture and the way we view it and I talked about um, and um, uh, I'm going to digress a little bit here but um, I talked about how in the world that we we live in, you know I, I, I made mention in one of my writings
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: Uh, you know, we pass through space-age like doors, touched by hands of those people that, that never loved or care for us. Um, and, and then some person shows up with perfect hair and takes you to uh, uh, an oddly lit building uh, where they perfuse your body, uh, and so that people can stand over your corpse with a PowerPoint playing, uh, containing images and music that you may not have even wanted you to yourself or what was left of yourself to be remembered by, and that's the world that we live in. Our ancestors didn't do that, you know, and. I think you know we've become so plasticine, you know, with everything that we do, and even uh, it's everything is marked uh by procedure now. I mean everything that we do in the past uh you know we if if one of our uh, as we say in in the south one of our kin had been had been harmed killed uh you know. There would be knife on somebody's blade that night, you know, that we would have gone out and, and taken care of the situation ourselves, very primal. Uh, there would be screaming and hollering. You know, my, my grand, my grandmother used to tell stories of, uh, you know, taking the door, the finest door in the house off the hinges and putting it in between two tables, putting it in between two chairs, stripping the body of the dead down and, and cleaning the body. And, you know, the body would be waked. Uh, for days on end, and people would be allowed to cry and carry on and do all that, and humans need to be able to do that, and they're not allowed to do that, guys. They're not. They package it. It's all packaged, and they send you out the door. And that's not just in the funeral services. That's in ME's offices, and they try to soft-pedal everything to everybody and saying we're going to take care of you. We're going to provide these services and all this sort of thing. ain't supposed to be easy. You know, it's not supposed to be easy. I think that we've made it very easy in our culture, probably too easy. Because nobody ever has to lay hands on the dead to take care of them anymore. We brush it off to somebody else. And that's a hard pill for a lot of people and uh, a lot of people out there to swallow, I think. Mm.
0: You know, I I noticed in in the book you wrote, um, uh, Blood Beneath My Feet, and that's the journey of a southern... Death investigator, and that came out in 2012. Uh, I, I noticed you talked about things like um, um, being in a cooler with a pile of decomposing humans for so long that you had to shave the hair off your body in order to get rid of the smell. Yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. it, it, I was going to say that um, a lot of that we don't see on TV. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. it, what I'm saying is that. You, could you give us in a in a brief kind of way what the day-to-day life is on someone that does death investigation or examining and uh, medical examiner like what what is it that you go through like that I think a lot of people don't realize
4: uh, yeah in that same in that same chapter uh, I, uh, I allude to the fact that we we give deference to one another that practice in that field as if we're We're primates, and we, uh, you know, no other (laughs) – there's not too many other professions where you'll walk over to a friend and you'll say, do I smell like decomp? You know, and this is maybe not after you've been in the morgue working to dissect bodies or prosect bodies, but just after you've been on a scene with a decomposing body or you just had to go over to the morgue, you would would walk up to somebody and say, do I smell like decomp? Because many times – uh, you know you might want to go out to lunch with your friends or something like that and you have this this aroma that travels with you this perfume of death as, as some people have called it and it it inhabits your clothing i mean it gets into you even at a molecular level uh and in that particular case you know i i did i was uh that case stem the story behind the case stems from um a jack-up barge in the gulf of mexico that capsized trying to beat a um, trying to beat a hurricane back to port, and also I think it's 16 guys. They were all lost, and the bodies came in slowly uh, over a period of weeks, and we had to get actually a refrigerator truck from Piggly Weekly of all places because oh, wow. um, to, to, we had our normal volume of, of cases that we have to deal with, uh, and so we have a refrigerator truck, and so I'm out there, Just working these 16 bodies and we had to take the jaws out of all the bodies, try to put tissue builder into the fingertips to raise a print. We had to clip off some of their fingers in order to facilitate the rolling of a print just to get them positively identified. None of these guys had identification on the bodies, but they're manifest. You know, we had to ship, you know, a list, but they were all unrecognizable, many of them. Uh, because of sea life and, you know, the warm waters of the gulf, it promotes decomposition. So, yeah, uh, and that's, that's not typical, a typical day, but it, on one hand, it, you have to anticipate that that's going to happen because it will a couple of times a year where you're infused with that essence of death, uh, that, that travels with you, uh, and people, you know, people, uh, um, um, you know, they, they, <laughs> particularly nowadays, uh, they're, they, they're so enamored with, with death. And, uh, from a forensic standpoint, I've had, I've come across a few people over the course of my career that were enamored, uh, by death for other reasons other than forensics. And we won't go into that in this show, but, uh, you know, you come across these folks and it's so foreign to them. I mean, it's so foreign, And, again, I think that, that a lot of that has to do with with the idea that it's so encapsulated now. People are so pushed away from it, and they don't see the, the nastiness behind it. But there's some of us that have to view it regularly, um, you know, on a regular basis. And I'm not just talking about homicides. I'm just talking about, you know, uh, natural deaths that are found dead, decomposing bodies that have no answers to them, motor vehicle accidents, suicides. Uh, I don't think that people out there really realize how many suicides take place in the U S and some, some locations they outnumber homicides on three to one uh, because, but you don't, you don't hear about it unless it's somebody that the media values like Robin Williams. No. Robin Williams had, life had no more value to it than anybody else. It's like Jean Benet. Uh, how many books has that little angel had written about her? Well, I don't know, 26 or something like that. Well, you know, when I was in Atlanta, I had any number of little girls in Atlanta that that went missing and were found dead, and they never made it through a single news cycle uh, because well, the media didn't deem them worthy.
5: Well, Joseph, do you think that people maybe aren't enamored with the thought of death? They're enamored with the solving of a crime because we're unindated with crime shows that go from the death to the guy in prison within 44 minutes. Huh, yeah. And and maybe Uh. they think that it's really that easy. You know, they don't really have to stand in the freezer with the dead bodies, or they don't have to stand over the dead body while the autopsy's taking place. You know, uh, let's look at CSI. You know, we're getting a DNA match in several seconds while Blondie brushes her hair. And that's
4: not yeah. the reality, you know. Yeah, um, I I, I, had, uh, I related a, a story. I'll try to keep this very brief. I know times of the essence but I, uh, I I related a story right at the end of my career. Um, I, um, as a as a death investigator, I had, I'd gone out to a very wealthy area in Atlanta. Uh, we call it the Coca Cola money. Um, because uh, Coca-Cola is headquartered in Atlanta, and this is near, like the governor's mansion and all that sort of thing. I had a fellow that had gone into a study and taken a skeet gun. And uh, first off, I don't, I don't have any friends that even have studies. All right, <laughs> this guy had a study, and it was typical of what you would imagine. Uh, you know, it was hardwood walls. You know, highly polished in there, very expensive furniture. The guy had a long psychiatric history. And was on uh, a myriad of medications. Had previously attempted suicide when, with his 12-gauge skeet gun, sat down and his leather chair, and locked his study from the inside and blew his brains out. Well, there's no signs of forced entry, no signs of struggle. Guy even left a note. I had, uh, I had, uh, you know, these anymore um, exemplars there of his handwriting, and it appeared to match to me. And you know, I couldn't convince the wife, you know, that that this was something uh, that it was not a suicide. You know that you know she and and, you know we're just going to have to part ways, begging to differ here on this particular point. And so finally, I'm leaving. The driver's taking the body away. I'm walking down this long driveway to get to my car, and I can hear her heels on the pavement behind me. And she comes up behind me and says. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, investigator Morgan, I just, I've got a a question for you. And I turned around and said, yes ma'am, what, what's your question? And she said, you say that my husband's death was not a homicide. I said, yes ma'am. And she says, did you sweep the room for mitochondrial DNA? (laughs) And I'm thinking, how, how, and this is in 2005 and I'm thinking, how the hell do you even know what mitochondrial DNA is? You know, and that it should be swept for. Well, she had, you know, this is something she'd glean from TV, I thought. Um, and it's this fantasy world that people live in. Uh, I think that probably taking forensic practice out of out of the drama sphere that you have with shows like like you know uh, CSI and that sort of thing and putting it into formats that are more true crime based stuff like ID and maybe uh, oxygen. I think that with those people begin to understand, but still they don't understand how long the timeline is involved in a lot of the stuff because it's all pre-made and it's just kind of, it's, it's like sausage, you know, it's just, there's a process for doing it and that you see on television and obviously that's every case has a different Sequentially and, you know, time-wise, everything you don't work on. It's almost like sometimes you don't work on linear time. You have to backtrack all the time to put these cases together, and mm-hmm. it's not as
5: simple as it as it would be. Yes, in reality, we'll be lucky to get a DNA match in six months.
4: Yeah, and a lot of that's going to be uh, jurisdictionally dependent, uh, you know, because not everybody is up speed. Uh, everywhere around the country, it's not just one isolated location. Uh, you know, uh, there's certain places that really have their stuff together and they can get it knocked out, uh, relatively quickly. Uh, but, um, I won't say what state crime lab it is, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out to you and just to give you an idea, um, when, um, when, Toxicology would be drawn at autopsy. Okay, like uh, we draw blood from the heart, urine directly from the bladder. We take vitreous fluid from the eye. We'll take bile, and then we'll do all of our our uh, tissue sections and everything, and submit all of that stuff in for toxicology. Um, guess what? Guess what? Those cases have to take a backseat to in uh, in in state crime labs. You guys want to take a guess at that? No. Uh-oh. <laughs> Trivia.
0: <laughs> Come on, Kevin. It's it's,
4: it's it's kind of blatant. I mean, it's, it's something that we're all aware of every single day uh, that state crime labs would actually be involved with, and it has to do with the generation of money. And that's blood alcohol. So to give you... To give you an idea in many locations as to where, uh, priorities are, um uh, these, these state crime labs are so overwhelmed with a number of things like, uh, drug and alcohol samples as it applies to impair, opera, impaired operations of vehicles that postmortem cases take a back seat. And that's just scratching the surface of things. But that, that gives you an idea. You
2: know, you'll know, have politicians
4: that will go out and they'll beat their chest and say, I'm going to clean this town up. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Uh, but, you know it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it's, a, it's a money machine. And so there's just different things that are going to trump other things. Um, you know, uh <laughs>
2: You know, that is
4: a, it, it, yeah. <laughs> well, if it was the case, you know, uh, if if we care so much about the safety of of these children, you know, uh, and and uh, we're always spouting off about how we want to protect children, and and we're going to step to the forefront, and step up to the plate, and do everything for kids, and uh, I got kids are our future, uh, Wendy Houston. You know, saying uh, about that before she killed herself with crap cocaine, you know, <laughs> just on and on and on. How laborious can it be? Yeah, you care so much about kids that you're going to send several million of the school every single day on buses with no seatbelts. Yeah, tell, keep preaching to me about how much you care about the kids. You know, and so, uh, but yet, you know, you can't give an eight year old a, a, a ticket for seatbelt, you can give a 32-year-old man a ticket for a seatbelt on the way to work. Uh,
5: so, it's all about priorities, you know. Yeah, but that's just a... Ah! <laughs> we all know that that makes sense, though. I mean, you know, it's it's about you You are responsible for this child, so we're going to ticket you. No. Yeah, oh, well, uh, unless so. you're on a school bus.
0: Yeah. You
4: know, you could ticket all the kids on the school bus, right? So, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the, you know, that more the greatest, than... great, so they could send a ticket to the parents at home. Yeah. And I had kids dealt it on the boat, on the school bus. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, it's a matter of parties. I'm going far afield there. Uh, but, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, um, you're, as a medical legal death investigator and involved in forensics, you're, you have, you have to fight against, uh not fight against, but you have to contend with death, and death doesn't seem as death would be enough to have to contend with, and then you put, you know, uh, uh, bureaucrats on top of that, and it just makes for it's a dangerous stew.
0: I was wondering, now, with seeing all the bodies and doing all of this work for so many years, has this changed your point of view personally on things like um, religion, whatever it may be, or after death and uh, and and things like that? Has that is it sort of given you a different light?
4: Yeah, yeah, it, it has. Um, you know, uh, I think for me, um, um, uh, I grew up in a southern evangelical home uh, you know, and uh very heavy handed, that sort of thing. uh, uh I don't uh, um, you know, I think that many people flee to this idea that, you know, uh you know, they'll say, uh, you'll hear uh you'll hear uh old time preachers talk about it. well I ain't home till I get to heaven. These are just vessels we're walking around in. The reality is is that you're walking around in it and if you believe in God, you're walking around here for a reason. Uh, and so you can't just you can't skip over this part and get to what you perceive as the good part. Uh, it's it's all about the, the spiritual nature of it and where you're gonna you know where you're gonna go. Um, uh, on another level, um, you know people have asked me for years and years because I was around death for so long. Uh, you know, prosected so many dead bodies over the years and have been present when bodies have been prosected. Um, they always want to know, uh, um, have you, you know, come in contact with, you know, ghosts or anything like that? Have I been haunted? No, I haven't. I've been haunted simply by death, uh, by death. And the, the screams of those that, that live, uh, You know, uh, uh, you know, I haven't had some kind of spectral visitation or anything like that, you know, for me uh Darn. i've been in places uh that well, yeah, was places, a whole other show <laughs> uh, well I've, however however i will say this i've been in circumstances where i could at least in my own sensibilities i sense evil and evil is very very real uh and evil that things that I've, you know that my that my mind has been subjected to that i've paid personal price for that uh, evil that a lot of people could not even comprehend, I, I think. Um, I, you know, I, um, just, um, I don't know, I mean, uh, the serial killers, uh, over the course of my career were three separate series of serial killers that I was aware of. Uh, the, uh, uh, mass, mass killings, I think has been something that that has truly bothered me uh, over over the course of my career. Um, I uh, uh, there's there's just a there's a litany of these things. Uh, you know, uh, you go into the basement of a home, and, and uh, a mother has her her elderly mother um, shackled in the basement, and uh, her. Uh, both of her breasts were eroded away because of uh, of, uh, of untreated breast cancer. Oh no. Uh, and, uh, so ulcerates so of that, you can see through her ribcage, you see her lungs, and she's, she was still living for a time. And the daughter's upstairs collecting the checks. Um, you know, you look at that and you think, uh, well, um, in my mind, from my beliefs, uh, I believe that hell exists, and so, um if, if there's a candidate, <laughs> you know, um, you know that she would be at the at the top of the list. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've seen I've seen a lot of evil, uh, and I define it as evil. I don't dance around it. It's evil to me. Many of these things that I've seen. It's the only way you can really, um, you know, death bets out all the suckers. Uh, there's not a lot of gray in death. You know, there's not a lot of fancy parlor talk and all that sort of thing that goes on. Uh, there's right and wrong. And uh and uh death is the ultimate litmus test, I
0: think. Wow. So now um how how do people um get a hold of you? Do you have any contact information or do you have anything that you like to give out and have people um maybe um Oh yeah,
4: sure. I'm I'm active on social media. Uh some of the programs that I appear on, uh I was just on uh HLN with uh Ashley Banfield uh last night. Uh uh Primetime, uh Primetime Justice. Right. Uh yeah. and uh I'm on there regularly. Uh Nancy Grace, I'm on there probably three or four times a week. That's Sirius XM channel one thirty two uh and active on social media uh my twitter handle is at at medco legal death it's m e d c o l e g a l death uh and uh of course i have a active facebook as well you know people are more than uh, I, I chime in and comment on i generally post a lot of forensic articles uh, things that that interest me that i find interesting uh ongoing death investigations and uh, things that kind of impact us, um, relative to all this. And of course you can find me at Jacksonville State University. It's jsu.edu. Uh, and, uh, we have, uh, a tremendous, uh, forensics program, one of the oldest in the South, uh, from an investigative standpoint, uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, uh, lab coat, uh, forensic scientists. We, we do a lot of work, uh, you know, with, uh, with local police departments we actually have a center for applied forensics um, which uh, we serve seven counties in northeast alabama with forensic services and so we're very active in that sense as well
0: wow that's amazing and uh, don't forget you have a book out blood beneath my feet and uh, you can get that at amazon of course or any good bookstore (laughs)
4: <laughs> yes, yeah, available electronically and available, uh, and available in print.
0: Wow. Okay, our guest has been uh, Joseph Scott Morgan. He's the death doctor. Um, and thank you for being on the show. Hey, thank it's
4: you. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. I'm
5: humbled that you would have me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you. you